So we're in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Last week we were finishing up, uh, we're in the middle of this concept that, that the Spirit of God is able to go down into the very depths of who God is and, and uh, to know God on a, on a level that is, I mean, the depths of God, it's just unbelievable. You can't, you can't put a limit on how much the Spirit knows God. I mean, He is God. This is the mystery of the Trinity. But He, but he searches the very deep things of God. And that's the way, I think, verse 10 of chapter 2 says... God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And that's where we are. The very, the very depth of God, his thoughts, his inner being, who he is, that's that's the, uh, the ministry of the Spirit. And so we're at verse 12. Now we have, not, have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Um, so we, fallen human beings... I do this a lot when I'm used to help kids all the time understand why the incarnation is essential to salvation. Um, God is creator. He is other. He is not us. Uh, there's things about God that are above and beyond what we can understand as creatures. And yet, humans are made in the image of God, so there's, even at the beginning, there's a capacity to know God. But in the incarnation, God, in Jesus Christ, takes on human flesh. So God comes to us in the incarnation. He's still 100% God, but he's also now 100% man. And so, I mean, there's no illustration in creation that can describe this, you know, um, you know, the creator actually becoming a member of the creation is just, it's unbelievable. Um, so the incarnation is Christ coming to us, but then um, Christ now, in the form of man, still now lives eternally on the throne with God up in heaven. But he's given us his spirit, and the Holy Spirit indwells us, and the Holy Spirit is is himself 100% God, and he is in the believer uh, united to humanity, and therefore the spirit who searches the very depths of God lifts us back up to know God. So if you don't have an incarnation, there's I don't care what sacrifice you have, you can be free from your sins, but you, but you couldn't know God. Only the incarnation enables you to know God. And this is what Paul's saying. He, he's saying that salvation is not some, um, you know, 
human wisdom, somebody who's a really good slick talker that can make you feel really good. Salvation is nothing less than the Holy Spirit, the one who searches the depths of God, now being united with you and therefore enabling you as a human being to search the depths of who God is. Now, I don't know about you, but there is nothing greater than that. If you can't get excited about that, I'm not, if, if you think, as soon as I know that, I'm going to know the depths of God, you're just going to be disappointed. Because as Christians, we haven't really experienced the fullness of that. But that's what's given to us in the Holy Spirit. By God giving you the Holy Spirit. He didn't give you some lesser spirit. He didn't just speak and say, wake up, you know, and become a Christian. He actually imparts to you the very spirit that searches his own depths. That's salvation, okay? Everything that people in this world hunger for and miss, I don't belong, I, I feel alone, all those kind of things, you can't get better than actually knowing the depths of your creator. That's, that's the beauty of the gospel. And so here's uh, Paul, he's, he's dealing with the Corinthians who act like, they're acting like, Oh, um, I really like Mike, and I follow Mike. Or, no, I really like Clark, and I like him. Or, I really like Benji, and I'm following him. And he's just saying, you guys don't get it. It's not any of these human people that you're following. It is Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit that does the work of salvation in us. So, that's kind of where we are right now. So, um, let's, just for kind of... We've talked about the Holy Spirit searching the depths of God, enabling you to know God. What's another uh, aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives that we tend to think of? What's that? Illumination. So uh, he illuminates... He illuminates the truths that are already there to your heart such that you see them and go, yes, that's awesome, I'm, I'm in, I love that. You know, uh, some people can hear these truths and just say, yeah, whatever. And the Spirit illuminates those truths to your heart. So you have the objective truth, but then you also have the Spirit working upon your heart to illuminate it. Never. <laughs> you might no. I actually, um, when I was working with the youth, uh, I had kind of a six-year program because you get the kids in sixth grade and then they graduate in twelfth grade. And so I, I always in that six-year program wanted to have at least one good year of uh, systematic theology, going through the confession or something of that nature. So, so um, I think the last systematic study I did was on the larger catechism, which wasn't too long ago. You know, but that was, uh, I haven't done the confession in quite some time. Does anybody remember the last time I did the confession in Sunday school? John probably does. Wasn't too long ago, maybe five years ago, something like that. So so we're probably due to have another systematic Sunday school class. Um, Another Sunday school class that I'd like to do is one on church history. Uh, I've been teaching church history to... Uh, homeschool students probably taught it four or five times over the last 10 years but I, I the last time I taught church history to a Sunday school class 15 years ago yeah 
Uh, it's it, so anyway, and you'll get a lot of the Trinity in church history. That's why I bring that up. So, uh, but um, okay, I'll tell you what. You can ask the question, and I can just swat it away for right now if I want to. How about that? <laughs> okay, okay, um, okay. So. Um, Yes, that's what I was looking for. Thank you, Lori. Uh, he convicts of sin. And the reason why I want you to, uh, the reason why I want to uh, bring that up in this discussion is to help put conviction of sin in its proper perspective. Because a lot of times we think, okay, conviction of sin, yeah, I'm bad. I need to know I'm bad. You know, trust in Jesus. You know, that's really, really good. But in this context of knowing the depths of God, what is conviction of sin? That's right. It's exposing those parts of who you are that are not in alignment with who God is. That's what conviction of sin is. And in order to truly know God, you need to be like God. That's what the whole thing is, that Christ is transforming you into the image of God again. That's what salvation is. So without the conviction of sin, you're not able to continually, and this is God's mercy, God at the very beginning of your salvation could show you all of your sin all at once. (laughs) That's a good response. (laughs) You probably couldn't handle it. So what does he do? He gives you some particular sin you're working on, and he convicts you of that. But then as you get that one figured out, guess what? Another one pops up, right? And your, your whole life is viewing little bits of your sin, that he's showing to you little by little over time. That's the working of the Holy Spirit. Not because he's trying to make you feel bad all the time. That's what the world tells you. God's just, he's out there to make you feel bad about yourself. No, he's actually trying to help you become like him. Uh, God in his holiness. God in, in every part of every part of God that you can emulate as a human being. Of course, he's not making you divine. <laughs> you always remain human. And by the way, you should know this from the incarnation. When, when Jesus, who is fully God, second person of the Trinity, becomes man, if you know your Trinity, you know that the, the Son and the Father are two persons, but they, uh, the Son is fully divine, fully human, but those Humanity and deity never mix. They never become like one superhuman. So the humanity always remains human. The reason why that's important is because you can't ever become God. Right? So you don't, salvation is not you becoming God. It is you knowing God through being united to God by the working of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, uh, uh, yes. (laughs) Yes, he did. Uh, because he has to submit his will to the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah, so there you go. Convicts of sin, power as well. That's correct. In fact, I would argue that even Jesus... Whenever he faces temptation throughout his entire life, 
he doesn't draw upon his own divinity to defeat that temptation. He draws upon the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. Those are both what both uh, resources that we possess as his children. If that makes sense. God cannot be tempted. So at any point, and this is, this is a pretty, it just kind of gives me chills to think that my God did this for me. At any point, if the temptation were getting so difficult um, that, uh, and it did get difficult, Jesus was sweating drops of blood. I mean, that, that kind of, I mean, it was very difficult. But at any point in your temptations with sin, if you had the power to just flick the, the temptation away, would you do it? I would. <laughs> like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Get me out of this. You know, and Jesus had that power because in his divinity, he could have, like a shield, prevented any temptation from even coming close to him. And so what he does is he willingly says, no, I'm going to act in my humanity. I'm going to rely upon the word and the spirit, and I'm going to let temptation hit me because he is tempted in every way as you and I are. And as God, he couldn't have those temptations. So um, that's why the incarnation is so beautiful. Uh, okay, so but the, I want you to just get that the, the whole dealing with sin is something that the Spirit does, but because he's yearning for you to be like this. He's bringing you back up into the Father so that there would be this oneness between you and God. Uh, Now, this is very important. So now, if you, you possess the Holy Spirit, the church as a whole has the Spirit among us, but you as an individual are indwelt with the Holy Spirit who searches the mind of God. So you might think, you might conclude from this that now that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, that now, knowing God would be direct. In other words, why do you ever need a preacher? If you've got the Holy Spirit of God in you, and he's searching the depths of God, why in the world do you need me to teach you anything about God? It's not the word of God, but see, but the, but the Spirit could, if Christ is the word of God, and the Spirit is actually illuminating to you uh, Christ, that's his job. I love the picture of like a, a searchlight on a house, um, you know, they're just down kind of in the landscaping, and they're just, you hardly see the light, but they exp- uh, shine on the house. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. But why not just do it directly to you? Well, Christ is the mediator. Yes. Now, this is, this is what I, I, I just love Paul and how 
he, he goes to this extreme of showing you the depths and the beauty that you have the Holy Spirit and that's everything about your salvation. Then look at verse 13. First four words, and we impart this. He's talking about him and the other apostles. They are imparting this beautiful salvation in these human words that they're giving. We impart this. Paul could have just said, yeah, once you have the Spirit, let me get out of the way, kind of like John the Baptist. Now that you have Christ, I've said to you, there's Christ, I'm out of the way, John the Baptist diminishes. Paul says, no, we, as we preach to you, are imparting this to you. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. These things we are speaking, not in teachings of man's wise words, but in teachings of the Spirit. In spiritual things, now this could also mean two spiritual ones, Spiritually, comparing, combining, interpreting. So, Paul, as an apostle, received, he's just one of them, there are other apostles, and this is why the church is built on the foundation of the apostles, Because these spiritual truths are not truths that man figured out by his own wisdom. He didn't become smart enough to figure this out. God basically says it to him. He reveals it to these guys. And the apostles then preach it and they write it down. Or they give to their associates to write it down. And this is what we have on the pages of the New Testament. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the New Testament is not words of human wisdom. They are words that are given by God to the apostles through the ministry of the Spirit. This is why we can never move beyond the words of the New Testament scriptures. You can't ever surpass them. You can't go past them. You can't do somehow go beyond them. This is what God has revealed in Christ. The New Testament. And preaching, the apostles started this ministry of preaching. They didn't just write down documents. They actually were preaching. And as such, they became the model of all preaching that comes after them. Only the apostles received much of this directly from God, uh, new revelation, whereas preachers are always preaching what's already been given to you in the New Testament. So, like no other activity on the face of the earth, if anybody wants to be a preacher, you have to believe that God is revealing himself when you preach the word of God. Mm -hmm. Of course, just to humble the preacher, it's not his eloquence. So you will never even embrace what I preach. 
That's one task. I have to preach the truth, the objective truth of the scriptures. But no one can embrace it unless the Spirit of God illumines it, as Laura told us a little bit ago, right? So even that is dependent on the Spirit. So just as the original revelation to the apostles was dependent on God's Spirit, so the working in your heart is dependent upon the Spirit of God. Every step of the way. Now, if you look at the second half of 13, it, it, I don't know if we have a couple different translations there, but uh, anybody not have the ESV, something other than the ESV? Yeah, so Debbie, what do you have? Okay, let's start with the NIV. What is it? Well, just read verse 13 to us. Okay, so the NIV takes this as the spiritual truths. And, and these differences are not going to be something that's going to be divisive. It's all going to, but I hope it will make it more sense to you. Um, what do we have up here? Uh, yeah, go ahead, give me King James. 13. Yeah. Which, which things we also speak... Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Okay, so there it's, it's uh, King James. It's comparing uh, spiritual with spiritual. Doesn't really, it doesn't even tell you exactly what's, what that means. It's kind of vague itself. Uh, what else do we have? Anything else? We got Clark. All right, there you go. This is great. I'm glad you have that. Yep. This is uh, it's called the Christian Standard Bible. It's Holman is the guy who did it. Go ahead. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Oh, there. Now, see, did you hear the difference there? So it's it's there's spiritual things, but it's two spiritual people to the spiritual ones. Um, and that's, that's kind of the big question on this. Is he just like comparing one spiritual thing to another spiritual thing? Or is it, is it, is it explaining spiritual truths about who God is to spiritual people? And I think, I think that the Holman Standard, Christian Standard Bible has, has something here. I don't know which is correct. I don't think they're, obviously, in the context, it's all about teaching people, so it's not out of there. But I, I just, yeah, I think it's just helpful to see that it could be both of these. And this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Take someone who has already been born again, of whom the Holy Spirit is indwelling them, and actually, through illumination, is actually... Uh, giving people spiritual understanding of the spiritual truths because they are spiritual people. That's who they are. Um, so this tells me things that, was it Spurgeon was asked once, uh, maybe multiple times, what was the, the uh, reason for the effectiveness of his preaching? And uh, I guess he pointed down below his... Uh, 
stage in the tabernacle that he preached in, um, he had a room down there and people were praying the whole time that he was preaching, all the time. Now, whether or not we need to enact that, we can't really do that here, slab, but whether or not you, uh, it is true that you, that you uh, always as God's people need to remember that nobody is ever going to experience the, the, the beauty of the, the gospel message unless two things occur. One, they're born again, right? They have to become spiritual people. And number two, even as spiritual people, you still have to have an ongoing ministry of the Spirit enlightening your mind. So Paul's just saying like, yeah, I, I get to preach. It's in human words that I'm preaching these great truths to you, but all of this depends upon the Spirit and not me. That's his point. Any questions on this? Making sense to you? It is amazing what God does. Every time you actually learn some spiritual truth and come to know God, it is this amazing work of God. It's not just people coming and listening and through their own intellect kind of figuring things out and studying. It is a spiritual activity every time. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what is this telling us? We can't save people, good, excellent. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Any other yes, Christian? Oh, I explain to me what the frozen chosen. Go ahead. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean, Christian? <laughs> <laughs> we gotta hear this. Well, we all we what what's controversial about that, Christian? We all agree that you're not spiritual enough. <laughs> I'm kidding. I would only do that to Christian. Go ahead. Maybe I don't know. Far. Just uh, you know, the speaking of tongues and uh, you know, uh, just taking dreams and uh, interpreting them and. Just, uh, you know, God straightly speaking to them and uh, as a gift or something, you know, it's just uh, that type of spirituality. Yeah, so the first thing I would say to them is that this passage actually uh, uh, works against direct revelation. Because Paul is saying that it is through preaching that the Spirit works to, to reveal, reveal God to you. He could have said, hey, just go and have a prayer language and have the Spirit, you know, so we'll deal with spiritual gifts later in, in Corinthians. But this passage, Paul is interpreting preaching, how important preaching is. 
but yet how unimportant preaching is. He's like having both sides of the whole coin, right? Because he's saying, it's not really the giftedness of the preacher, but it is the office of the preacher as he preaches the truth of God that the Holy Spirit uses as a means of grace. Okay, so, but I would tell you here, Christian, uh, what is the primary function of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2? This is how you would talk to your, your, your family. What's the primary function? What is the very thing that the Spirit is doing to you through preaching? Changing you to be like God, but also helping you to know God. That's, that's the, it's, the Spirit is revealing to you the depths of God. You are becoming like Him. It's not, it's not um, the gifts that are so important. It's that you are knowing God. That's the, that's the thing. So if you're not coming to know God, um, there's a problem there. But um, the, what the charismatics would say is the only way that you can know God is through the miraculous spiritual gifts. And I would say that's not what the, the ministry of the Spirit is, at least in chapter 2. It's through the preaching. That's how you come to know God, through the truth of the Word of God being preached and illuminated in your heart. Um. But let's follow it here. I don't know if I answered that at all for you, Christian, but I want to move on a little bit. The natural man. Now, on the one hand, you say doesn't accept. you got a hardened heart that's not born again. You're not going to accept the, the things of the Spirit, period. But then it says something even more profound in the second half of the statement. They're not even able to understand. Is that what you're going to say too, Ann? There you go. So what does this say about the ability of a person who's natural, and that's all of us, born in Adam, what is our ability to actually accept the things of God? Do we have one? None. This is, this is it's not just a matter of, um, you know, in apologetics, we used to always think, man, if I could just give the right argument, I can convince them. Now, I'm all for making good arguments. I don't think we should try to make stupid arguments <laughs> to defend God. And we have great arguments to defend God. But don't be surprised if you give a great argument to someone and they go, yeah, whatever, I'm not convinced. Because the natural man can't. So what is it, what is it that has to happen for a natural man to actually grasp spiritual truth and embrace it? He has to be regenerated. Yep. Yeah, and they're trying to help you with that, right? Yeah, they're trying to help you. Yeah, it's, it's without the Spirit. Uh, someone else had their hand raised over here. Yes, go ahead, Frank. Um, when a person doesn't know the Lord and you're sharing the gospel with them, there's some point at which they are unregenerate, mm -hmm. but sometimes people are listening and their hearts are becoming open. Mm -hmm. So yep. they're not regenerated, yep. but their hearts are being opened. So they are natural, but they are receiving what you might be sharing with them. So how Remember the scriptures that, that say, um, they talk about fallow ground? What's fallow ground? 
uh, fallow ground is like it's, it's, it's like hardened. It's unable to produce growth. And you have to break up your fallow ground. You have to like soften it. You have to till it up uh, in order for the seed to be planted in there. Um, faith, this is a tenet of Presbyterianism and everybody in the Reformed churches. Uh, faith is a product of regeneration. A person cannot have saving faith unless God works to regenerate their heart. Much of Christianity, modern Christianity, places faith here, or at least right there, okay? Like right with or maybe even after, uh, or right before, just slightly before. So they, but what, when you do that, and this is a this is a theological construct that we're just trying to understand our salvation better. Frank, in a person's life, this whole period of them, it gets murky. It's, it's, it's like, you know, uh, how is, the, this is John 3, the spirit moves where it wills, you know, we just see the fruits of it moving, those kind of things. Is there a work of God that precedes regeneration? Yeah, I think so. The Holy Spirit does work even before regeneration in a person's heart. Um, But true saving faith must be the product of regeneration because a person can't accept the spiritual truths without being born again. So that's that's like a fundamental... um, truth that we believe as Presbyterians. Because if you say that faith can occur before regeneration, you're basically saying that the natural man can believe. You're assuming that that means means every single person on the planet, or is he talking about the church? To each man is given a measure of faith. I would argue that he's talking about the church. I'm 100% in agreement with that. Um, I would um, argue that understanding faith is a mystery. Uh, I would also argue that, um, that faith is not something that just occurs at one moment in time. Uh, that true faith continues, it perseveres to the end even though it has moments of like choppiness like this, um, strengthening and weakening of faith. Uh, But um, there are times you might be here really struggling and you might think, do I really have faith? And you might not even know the assurance. You might not have assurance at that moment. You might be scared to death that if you died in this condition, you might go to hell. Um, God alone 
knows perfectly if there's faith in someone's heart because he's the one that put it there. It's a gift from him. And when he does, he never loses that faith. But from your perspective, there are times when your assurance of your faith can be strengthened or weakened. And so, um, you know, if you're experiencing kind of a renewal in your faith, you're going to be more confident that, that the Spirit is changing you. And then you'll have times where you, where you struggle and you're thinking, is the Spirit even working in me at all? You, you, we all go through those. Yes, that's right. But what we would always say in these moments of lack of assurance, and this, if you listen closely to preaching today, a lot of people equate faith with assurance of faith. Your confession doesn't do that. Your confession says that, that faith is what, save you, what saves you. Assurance of faith is something that is a great blessing that gives you great joy. But it's not that which saves you. So, uh, you could, this person who has started to walk away from the faith and is work, walking in rebellion, it's possible that his faith could simply have been what we call a temporary faith. Remember the parable of the soils? Grows up, but it doesn't actually bear the fruit. It could, that's possible. And the difference between temporary faith and saving faith is nothing less than saving faith endures. Right, that's right. But, but you're, okay, so but hear hear this out. The person, the person who's at this point, the question is not, can I just be more sure that I'm saved? That's not how you get them. That's not how you help them. You help them by directing them to Christ and calling them to cast their faith on Christ again. So that you're, it's faith that saves you. Not just something you did in your past, but today, right now. I need to turn from my sin. I need to cast myself on Jesus. I need to pursue him. That's saving faith. You just keep doing that your whole life. That's what, that's what saving faith is. And then one day you die. And you see him face to face. Right? So what I think happens in our world today is we focus so much on, I want to have assurance. I want to know that I know that I know that I'm saved. And if somebody dies... We want to know that I, we know that we know that they're saved. And I just think that's a dangerous path. The rotten times. Yep. And there are times where it looks like true believers are not saved. And there are other people's lives where they outwardly look like they're saved when in reality they're not. And God's the final judge. That's why we all have to still stand before him. Go ahead. The horizontal line to the left. This? What I'm wondering, what is the action or movement of the spirit prior to regeneration? To move an individual to that point to where that marvelous miracle takes place. Mm -hmm. He can do all kinds of things. I could see it in uh, Erica's uh, son, Mateo, as she uh, reads to him the Bible, um, talks to him about Jesus, sings songs to him, prays for him. He could very slowly, over a a period of, of years, 
uh, come to the place where his heart is then awakened and he truly believes. Okay? Could be that. Or it could be uh, the thief on the cross who at the very last moment of his life says, oh, I believe. And there was not, it didn't look like there was a whole lot of preparation there. You know, it, it, it God, his work is mysterious. I don't know how he works in every, it's probably as, as manifold as the number of people that are saved. He works in everybody's heart slightly differently according to their uh, needs. I grew up in church. I went to, um, I went to uh, a Lutheran church that still preached the truth of the word of God. I understand stood a lot of good things. I even had my heart warmed to, uh, I remember being at church camp and singing uh, the songs at church camp with great emotional, uh, you know, depth and, and wanted to know God. I also remember um, my Sunday school teachers and my catechism teachers saying to me, you were always filled with tons of questions. You know, you just, you were questioning everything. And um, great, great, great. So, but then um, when I was a freshman in high school is when I finally really grasped hold of my uh, sinfulness and my need of Jesus as my substitutionary savior. And... um, and so I would call that the point of my conversion when I was regenerate, you know. But what was God doing earlier? And maybe I was regenerate earlier. I don't know that. And I just came to a greater understanding of my sin. It's hard to tell what was going on. I tell people, when you look outside and you see a tree, you know the tree had to have been planted at some point. You may not know exactly when the tree was planted. And I think a lot of times with our kids, they don't know exactly when they were born again or what was going on, you know. They, but you, they need to be born again, and you need to call them to be born again. So. Yes. Yes. Uh-oh. What? So you got this here. I just said that that's the moment of regeneration. And that some people put faith here. I say no. Faith. There you go. <laughs> she's, see, if you guys came to our Sunday evening, you would know what she's talking about. Uh, no, no, no. Don't take it that way. Don't. It's, it's, you, no, right, no, no, you could, you could look at your journey of faith like this, you know what I'm saying, you might, you might only, from the very beginning of your faith, if this is here, perfect, 100% sanctification and conformity to God and perfect faith, that's, that's, that's where you're heading, your faith is weakened and strengthened, remember the, the life of Abraham, right, he's had ups and downs, you know, um, but he has genuine faith because God put it there. And it, it, it culminates, what's his deepest act is probably the willingness to sacrifice Isaac, right? So, uh, yeah, the fact that it was under the line, I'm sorry, that was just a uh, mixing of my illustrations. Um, so don't, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's the point. People can't accept Jesus apart from the working of the Spirit and renewal of their hearts. Therefore, why do we get so uh, 
insecure when people don't accept our faith, what we're telling them. We do it all the time. We act like it's up, it was our fault. We didn't say it quite right. You know, that, it, that if I could just articulate the gospel a little bit better, then people would believe. And that's just not, it, it's, it's a lie from Satan. It really is. He cannot know them. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, I would argue that there are many things surrounding the core of Christianity that people can accept in a natural state. Um, be a person of hard work. What they call it, the Protestant work ethic. That's something the Bible teaches. But people who are natural can accept that. What people can't accept is the message of death, the message of the cross, that in order to be saved, you must die. Not only must your Savior die in your place, but then he must carry you to the cross as well. That's foolishness to people. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All that, perfect. Guys, just great. Great, great, great. All right, let's look at verse 15. We got a mic back there. I'm going to let someone else read this one. Just give that to whoever. Let's just read uh, 15 and 16 both. The spiritual person judges all things, but it is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. Okay, these are truths that we have to understand in their context or you can really abuse these things. Um, so uh, the spirit judges all things. What do you think he means by that? Yeah, spiritual person judges all things. About your own heart, maybe even about what you're hearing. Uh, maybe a preacher's gone off the tracks. The spirit inside of you and you being a spiritual person, you have the ability to make some judgment as to whether that's true from the truth of God's word or not, right? So you, uh, the spirit gives every believer the capacity to appreciate the glories of the gospel and to even understand when somebody's not preaching it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Discernment. Which is, it's very interesting because the person before you're a Christian, they're blinded to everything. They have no spiritual discernment. And then once you have the Spirit of God, you're given the ability to actually use your noggin. And you need to. Right? Um. Why am I forgetting the name of the, the people in the book of Acts? The Bereans. What did they do? 
examine the tr- scriptures of the Old Testament to see if what Paul was preaching was in accord with what the scriptures have taught, and therefore they, they were more honorable because of that. You are supposed to do this as God's people. You're not just like uh, hard drives or, you know, external drives that we're just kind of putting information into you. You have to personally chew it up and maul upon it. And the spirit inside of you needs to say, yes, that's, that's the truth of the gospel. That's the glory of the gospel and embrace it. Which is why churches shouldn't just try to hoodwink people into believing what they believe. You have to come to the truth of it. It doesn't do any good to try to force someone to accept infant baptism because it's glorious. It's my view. Uh, uh, to try to force you to do that when you don't think that's what Scripture teaches until the Holy Spirit grabs that, your heart on that. Same thing with Calvinism. Same thing, you know, it, God has to awaken that in the heart of the person. Yes. Hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, what we ask every member of the church is to be teachable. Um, yeah. But we don't ask people to just blindly accept what we teach. What does it mean that he is judged by no man? Okay, that's, that's good. Um, uh, God alone judges my heart. That's very good. Anything else? Mm-hmm. That's true. That's, that's a good point. Unbelievers, uh, well, unbelievers are going to make judgments on us, but they're going to be the wrong ones because they can't understand the spiritual things. So, so maybe it's just talking about unbelievers there. Uh, I got two things at once. What did you say? Okay, yeah, Paul's going to tell you in a little bit, though, that he doesn't even trust his own judgment of himself. <laughs> but, but you're right. <laughs> All right, what did you say, Laura? Yeah, I think, I think that's the kind of judgment. It's, it's a, a, a final um, uh, judgment... On the whole person. Yes. That's, that's, yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at here. So of course, natural people are going to not, not, not make correct judgments about somebody's salvation, right? Because what are they going to say? Well, the person who's the most righteous is the one that gets saved, and the person who's not righteous doesn't get saved, and that doesn't fit the cross, you know, uh, paradigm. So, but um, it, I think it's, um, if the natural man, and I, I think this is what he's getting at more so than the spiritual man, if the natural man can't understand Christ, how in the world can the natural man understand the Christian? You see that? Uh, because the Christian is looking like Christ. He's, he's a product of the Holy Spirit in him. 
Only those possessing of the Spirit can appreciate the Spirit in others. Um, Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So he makes a difference, and I, I hope that's a point that you've heard me preach at some point. The difference between the whole person and a particular action, right? Otherwise, you could never confront somebody with sin. You have to make a judgment that someone has done something wrong. If they sinned against you, there's a judgment that's made there. And Paul, in his this very chapter, is making a judgment on them because he's telling them that they, they're having divisions is wrong. So he's making a judgment, exactly what you're saying. But I do think that he's, he is talking about this final judgment of the whole person, as if you stand in the place of judge and ability to actually condemn another person to hell. Good, good. Um, she wants you to. She wants you to discern that. Uh, Christians have the ability to discern mm-hmm. fact from fiction on. Mm-hmm. at the ultimate level because mm-hmm. God has given them that ability. Whereas mm-hmm. in this second case where he says, but he, himself. Uh, but he himself is to be judged by no one. So the Christian cannot be condemned by the world or Satan. Mm-hmm. And God will not condemn the Christian because of what Christ has done. That's good. There's, I'm, I'm trying not to go to all the steps. I'm trying to just let it play out because there's a place where Paul will... Um, basically say something to the effect of you should only look at other Christians in light of Christ. You don't look at them in themselves. They're, they're a spiritual person. They're a new creation. So you need to think of them as uh, somebody in Christ, which is why I always write my name like this. Right? Because... Um, it's a reminder to me to think of myself that way, but it's also a reminder to me to think of Mary that way. You know, we tend to want in the natural way to think of each other in our natural distinctions from one another. You know, um, and usually in ways that make us think of ourselves as better than others. It's usually how we do that. And Paul says, you need to start thinking of people in terms of who they are in Christ. Um, anyway, um, 16, and we're going to finish with this. Good, I might even get done to a chapter. I've never, don't do that very often. Um, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So again, this is just following up, right? Um, Of course natural people can't understand God's mind. He's already made that case. Only God can interpret his mind, and we have the mind of Christ. So that's, you know, um, so he's basically saying, expect to be misunderstood. Um, You will not be able to be instructed by natural people. They they can't help you with the instruction of the Lord because they don't understand this. Now, we should not take we have the mind of Christ as that we can never be wrong. 
I have the mind of Christ. I am the directly, you know, I've got this direct line to Christ and everything I say and do is correct and good. No, um, it's just saying that, that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you and the Holy Spirit is the very depths of God's mind and therefore is working in you. So um, you're going to continue to need to get preaching and teaching. You're going to continue to have to struggle to understand things in the word of God and and pray and ask God to help you understand things. It's just this ongoing, lifelong struggle to know God. And that's okay. That's right. That's right. You're going you're gonna to get here in a little bit where Paul's going to actually say that pastors are the means by which we should all become one. And you're going to be like, are you kidding me? Pastors are the ones that divided the church, right? We're, but he's going to say this later on. Go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah, well, that, I mean, that should be, I'm in 100% agreement. That should be, go without saying, because we just said that God revealed himself in Jesus, right? That's the objective revelation. And the apostles were given revelation from God to be able to then interpret correctly Jesus for us, and that's been written on the pages of the New Testament. So, yes, we, we can't, this is, again, Don't seek to know God through some other form of direct revelation. Go to the Bible. This is how you know God. I can't stress that enough. The only reason why I've devoted my life to studying the scripture is because I believed this early on. Someone said, taught this to me, and I was like, yes, this is the only way. If God wanted to just show up and reveal himself to every individual how he wanted to do it, he could have done that. But that's not what he does. He's done it through the foolishness of imperfect preachers. So, uh, there is really nothing in the whole world quite like the labor of expository preaching. It is utterly consuming. It may sometimes be utterly exhausting, sometimes utterly exhilarating, but it is the most glorious privilege in all the world. I didn't write that, but I agree with it. Um, yeah. Heavenly Father, thank you for this study. Um, thank you for the book of Corinthians. Not even a book on doctrine, and yet full of some of the richest doctrine that you can imagine. I pray, Father, as we go to the preaching of the word and to the sacrament of communion that you might pour out your spirit in our hearts. Uh, Use your spirit to enlighten the minds of your people and drive us to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.